Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. sing and and live and soak ourselves in the goodness of God, and we turn ourselves to his good word which he provides to us found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The words will be up on your screen. You're welcome to find them in your own Bible, but this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness that is, that is running after us. And so, Lord, we pray that um, as we sit here, Lord, may we receive your grace in a new way. And Lord, may we be people who keep our eyes on you as we move forward into an unknown future. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So this spring, I happen to do uh, a lot more running than I normally do. Um, I don't typically run at all, but this spring I started doing some, some running, and I started running like a mile and then a mile and a half, got myself all the way up. I ended up one day running about 4.1 miles, um, and I don't know why, but that's just what I ended up doing. Um, and here's what happened every time I went for a run. About a quarter mile to about a half a mile into it, I thought, this is terrible. Why am I doing this? Like, this just is no fun whatsoever. And then once I kind of got past that, it was, it was okay. Um, and, uh, and so as I'm running, you know, like, I sort of imagine, you know, myself looking like Forrest Gump, right? Like, we have this, like, classic, when we think about running, we think about Forrest Gump. But I imagine that if you saw my face, the reality is I look something more like this guy here, right? Just, oh, just brutal, brutal. Um, A few years ago, I preached a sermon to a group of people when I was in Tulsa. The Route 66 Marathon actually ran right by our church. And so Saturday night, we had a meal and a worship service, and I was preaching to them. And I thought, how do I preach to a bunch of runners before we bless their shoes? And so I wondered, what do runners think about when they run? And so somebody had done this study, and 40% of, of runners' thoughts while they were running were about distance and pacing. Am I, am I running the, the right pace? How far have I gone? How much longer do I have to go? 28% of thoughts were about their immediate environment. So, oh, look at that um, sunrise, that beautiful tree. Oh, there's a squirrel over there. Oh, a squirrel over there. Oh, another squirrel, right? Like this is what they would be thinking about. About 32% of their thoughts were about their pain and discomfort. (laughs) A third of what they thought about was how miserable this was. 
Now, what we did um, in Tulsa, and there was a lot of people, anytime there's a, a marathon, they have it with the marathon here in Oklahoma City as well, is they have these cheer stations, right? Because one of the things that they know is that if a third of your thoughts are about how miserable you are, you need people to, to cheer you on. And so um, at that, we, the, our church was actually just a tenth of a mile into the, the start of the race on Sunday morning. And so our choir got out there, and they were in their robes, and they, they began the race singing. And so you would kind of turn a corner, and there you would see our choir singing to them. We also had such encouraging signs, you know, you can do it, all sorts of stuff. But we had one that said only 26.1 miles to go that uh, people really appreciated. Now, if there's one thing we know about life is that uh, for a lot of us, we may not and will never run a marathon. But life is a grind and it just keeps going. And, and this marathon does not stop. We wish that sometimes we could really press pause and, and stop and just collect our thoughts and collect other stuff. But life just keeps going. And what do we do about it? Because it weighs us down. Um, I, the, the author of Hebrews tells us this, that he call, calls us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That we are to lay aside those things that, that, that weigh us down. I mean, it's hard enough to run, but to, to run with a backpack or to run with things that weigh us down, that doesn't seem to be good. But how do we do that? How do we lay aside those things that weigh us down, that sin that clings so closely to us? If it was easy, we'd think that we could do it, but it seems like we need some sort of inspiration. And so how do we do it? I think that the first thing that we look for is sort of we remember the faithfulness of others who have gone before us. We remember the, the stories that, that have been shared with us because they can encourage us. And so that's exactly what happens in this chapter of, of Hebrews 11 and 12 is we get to hear the stories of faithfulness. Now, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 gives us a great definition of faith. And it says this, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation, received their praise. It's this belief and it's this confidence that God is going to deliver and that goodness, the goodness of God, which is running after us, will continue to be with us no matter what our circumstances our current circumstances, or our future may hold. And so what the author of Hebrews does is he gives sort of this, in Hebrews chapter 11, this faith hall of fame, these, these legends of faith and sort of how they did it. Now, our video showed it earlier, but I think it's important for us to remind ourselves again that it truly is by faith that these things have happened. Because it says here, by faith, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. It continues, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that was going to receive as an inheritance. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith. The walls of Jericho came down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
And so we have these great stories of faith, and there's even more in Hebrews 11. And in fact, the author of Hebrews basically says, I can't even name all the people by faith. And so he reminds us of this great cloud of witnesses, that there are people in our history who, by faith, because of their belief and confidence in what God can do, have been able to go into an unknown future and lived well. I think of um, the story of the walls coming down in, in Jericho. You might remember the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down, right? Like, imagine how crazy it would be to, that there had to be some people who were like, so we're going to walk around this city, and then we're going to win a battle. How is this going to work? But there were people who said, I believe in God, the God that, that led us out of slavery and into freedom and has made us this promised land that he can take us here. And if we have to go around Jericho, I believe that by faith, the walls will come tumbling down. And so sometimes when we feel like that there's a sin and there's this weight and the heaviness of life, and some of you are bearing not just your burdens, but the burdens of other people, that if by faith we can look at the story of the people in our scriptures and they can be an inspiration. But also we can look at the stories of people in our own community and of our church story. This week I have been doing some history work. History is not always the most exciting things, but I want to share a little bit of our church history with you all because to me it's fascinating where we come from. Because I think really the only way to, to get to know of where we're going is we have to look back of, of where we came from. And so I found this book. It was written in 2002. It was about our church centennial. So our church was founded about 1902, and in 2002, we celebrated the centennial. And in there, they used this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 in the introduction, and that there was a time in which Joanne Morgan wrote these words. She said, we also pause to give thanks to the many dedicated members who have given joyously and unceasingly of their time and effort over the past century. We owe a great debt to the past members who have inspired those of the present to build an even greater future. And those words which she wrote 17 years ago are still true for us. Now, um, the city of Mustang had their 50th anniversary earlier this week, and that was a, a, a great thing. But the community and the town of Mustang has actually been around uh, for longer, a lot longer than that. Uh, I think I read something that the post office uh, was established about 1895 or something like that. And, and our church was one of the earliest entities in town. In fact, probably other than the post office, I think we're the longest single continual entity in Mustang. We have a rich, rich history here at Mustang United Methodist Church. The first church in town was actually the Presbyterian Church. And so they were meeting, and then the Methodists joined in, and they would meet in the same building. Churches getting along. It's a wonderful thing that can happen from time to time. And so these churches, they, they, they were able to, to share. And in 1902, um, they decided that it was time to build their own church. And so C.H. Grady, T.J. Smith, S.E. Durbin went to a conference up in Yukon to see what they needed to do to start and build their own church. And so they bought property. So this, the original church was located about where the tennis courts are at the high school. That's where the original church was located at now. And so for $500, they bought that property um, there. The church cost $1,600 to build. It was a one-room church. In that church and what was built was this very pulpit, which I'll tell you more about in just a little bit. 
that first Sunday that they moved into the, the church, there was, they still had, they still owed some money, um, but they passed around the plate, I don't know how many times, but they passed it around enough time to get $391 and paid off all the debts of the church. Now, believe it or not, in those days, the Methodist women were an active group. They sewed. They hosted ice cream socials. They even had an oyster supper. Some things never change, right? And in 1905, we had 52 members as part of what was Mustang Methodist Episcopal Church. Now, that single-room church served for a while, for a couple of, of decades, but then in 1927... April 11th, 1927, tragedy struck Mustang and Mustang United Methodist Church in the form of a tornado. And so that, that beautiful little church was completely destroyed in a tornado. Two things survived. One is our bell that we have out front, and uh, we're going to figure out what we need to do so that next Sunday we can ring that bell as that church bell was rung many, many, many years ago. It fell straight down. The other thing was this very pulpit. Uh, A couple of teenage boys found it two blocks away. This is a heavy thing, so think about how how bad that tornado must have been. Found it two blocks away, sitting in a tree, so if it has some scratches, that may be why. It wasn't just the preacher's kids who ran into it. It was a tree, all right? And so here is a great story of history. Now, allegedly... The, the boys who, who found it, they said there was a, a, the hy- a hymnal was open and the song Nailed to the Cross was what was there. Now, um, as I was doing some, some research and, and Karen found some of the, the history, there was this great article in the Daily Oklahoman from 1991, and it told the story of this pulpit. Let me share it with you. This pulpit was originally built by a man by the name of John Rath. He helped build the church and built this pulpit, I believe they said, out of pine. Now, when it went through the storm, it made the move to the rebuilt church. And so in 1927, that little white church that you see over there, that was a church that was down there um, by where the tennis courts are now. And this pulpit was in there and was part of it. But then Mustang, Mustang Methodist Church continued to grow, and, and because it continued to grow, they decided to, to move out here to the, the highway and, and to this property that we're at now. And so in 1965, they moved from that church all the way down here. And so our parlor was our original sanctuary here, and we moved out here in 1965. Now, you may notice that that original sanctuary and the spaces around aren't that large, and they had a different pulpit that they used for that um, place. And so this was in storage, but there wasn't a lot of storage. And so they decided that it would be best to sell the pulpit as well as other things that were taking up space. And so they had a garage sale um, as they, they moved in. Now, this didn't sit well with all of the members to be able to sell this pulpit with all of its rich history and heritage, including one of our members who's still alive today. Her name's Dolly Priest now. And Dolly decided that she would buy this pulpit for $50 from the church. She encouraged other people in the church to to buy other um, things so that our history would be preserved. And so she bought it, and she had it in her garage for a while, taking up space, of course, until... Walter Rath. Now, Walter was John's son, and he wanted something craftsmanship that his dad had done to remember him by. 
And so he got word that she had it, and, and so she gave it to him so that he could have something to remember her dad, his dad, with. But in 1991, Stan Cosby, who was the pastor at the time, he had heard the story of this pulpit, and he wanted to preach from it. And he wanted, from in that sanctuary, to cast a vision about this sanctuary. And so in 1991, this pulpit, almost 100 years old, this pulpit, again, we're guessing is about 117 years old, was brought back for that service and that campaign to remember that we are a people of rich and deep history and roots, but we also are a church that is continually moving forward. And so in 1991, there was a group of people, you may recognize some of these names, uh, there was Dorothy, there was Mickey Fennell, Greg LaPat, Don Mummy, Bruce Stevens, Keith Sanderson, Tom Aikman, Reeford Stevens, John Francis, Susan Cosby, and John Dietrich served on the building committee that allowed us to be in the sanctuary that we are at now. And so we stand here that these people acted by faith. They didn't know what the sanctuary would look like. They didn't know what the community of Mustang would look like. But by faith, this original pulpit was built. By faith, they built that church believing that it would be, there would be new people. By faith, they moved to a more prominent location. By faith, they built this sanctuary. By faith, not only did people provide the money, but they provided the sweat and they provided the effort to, to do a lot of the work themselves, believing that, that whenever we have a safe, welcoming place for people to come, that their life is going to be transformed by the gospel. And so our history is a rich history of people who by faith have acted, believing that our future days and our best days are ahead of us. And these people, some who are still here and some who have passed on, are cheering us on. I love the way the message translation uh, talks about Hebrews 12. It says this, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, Go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. You see, not only are we called to remember the stories of, of those who have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses, but also how do we, how do we lay aside those weights and, and the sin is that we remember the faithfulness of Jesus. We remember what he went through for us and that because he went through it for us, he also went through it with us. That there was no suffering, there was no weight that we have to go through that he has not go, gone through as well. In this text, it tells us to go over that story again, item by item. And one of the things that we can do when we're struggling and one of the things I would encourage you to do is when you feel overwhelmed by life is to read about Jesus and what he did. 
because it's an extraordinary story. And it's extraordinary that sometimes we forget it, but God calls us to remember it. And so I tell you, if you're struggling today, read the Gospels. There's words of hope, there's words of encouragement, but Jesus' life is a reminder of his goodness for us. Because it was in that story that we can remember that when the people of God were crying out, that God heard their cry. And that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he did not stay in the comforts of heaven, but instead entered into the misery of humanity. And he entered in as a, a baby, I don't know about you, but if I was God, I would not start as a baby and just have to hope and depend on other people. But this is what Jesus did, completely dependent on humanity to raise him and to protect him. He wasn't born into a palace, but instead he was born into the humble home of a carpenter in an obscure place by the name of Bethlehem. He, he lived a, a regular life being an apprentice to Joseph the carpenter, but then some extraordinary things happened because wherever Jesus went, extraordinary things broke out. And not everybody knew what to do with Jesus, especially the, the, those people that were in power, the religious and political leaders of the day. And Jesus would do something amazing and something wonderful like heal somebody on the Sabbath and they would get upset because it was on the Sabbath. And so they would, they would question him and, and they would threaten him and, and they would run him out of, out of town. And especially when we enter into the last week of Jesus' life, we can see what he endured, the enduring of the cross and the suffering. It started on Sunday with Palm Sunday when, when they waved palm branches and they, and they laid down coats and they said, Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, save us. But by, on Sunday, they were saying, Lord, save us. But by Friday, they were saying, crucify him. And so Jesus was arrested. He was put into a mockery of a trial. And if it wasn't enough for him to be arrested with this mockery of a trial, but also he had to go through the emotional suffering that happens when one of your 12 disciples turns you in and betrays you. Another one, Peter, denies you. And the rest leave you and hide. So he was, in a lot of ways, alone. He was convicted and was put to death by crucifixion. But before that, he received 40 lashes, if you will, into the back of painful, agonizing experience. And then he carried the cross. And that cross weighed him down and he could not and did not have the strength to carry it himself. And then he died on a hill. They cast lots to see what his, who would get his clothes. They mocked him on the cross. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And he suffered and died alone. He took our sin and our sorrow there. It wasn't just his own physical pain, but we believe that he literally bore the weight of human sin on himself. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what we remember of what Jesus went through for us. And we remember the faithfulness that even though he could have turned back at any moment, he chose to go through it. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead. 
on the third day he was resurrected, that all the suffering he went through was redeemed through his resurrection. And that is the Jesus we follow today. And so I want you to know as the people that Jesus did this for you. And he did it for us. And he wants you to know that when you suffer, you don't suffer alone, but that he is with you because he has suffered. And he bore the weight of your sin and your suffering already. And he's saying, you don't have to bear it all yourself. Let me carry your burden today. And he cheers us on. Jesus is our number one encourager, wanting us to live a life of faithfulness. But not only do we have him, but we have the people of this church who are cheering us on, who want us to go forward, and we have the people like Abraham and Noah and Moses who are cheering us on, encouraging us, that when a third of our thoughts of of life might be about how miserable we are or our pain and discomfort, that these people are saying that we can do it, keep going into the future. And so that's really what this 2020 vision is all about, is before we move ahead, we have to remember who we are, and and we, and we have to remember that God has been with this church for a long, long time, and that we want to see clearly, with clarity, who God is and who God is calling us to be. And that begins by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, 2020... It feels like so far in the future, doesn't it? Like that just seems kind of mind-boggling that here we are, 2020. We don't know what's going to happen in 2020. I mean, the 49ers will probably win the Super Bowl. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, You know, there's, but 2020 makes me anxious for a few reasons. As a United Methodist, uh, uh, we have uh, another general conference coming up. We don't know what's going to happen with that. 2020 is a, a presidential election and other elections, and, and that means we're, we're going to get anxious with one another. We're going we're gonna to disagree. And, and here's the thing that I know. I only have five votes in our election, all right, this upcoming year. All right, you probably have one, but I get five because I'm a pastor, all right? <laughs> but still, that won't change things, will it? I could have 500 votes, and it wouldn't change the election, I could have five million votes and when it changed the election one way or another. I can't control who the president will be in 2020. I can't control who our Congress will be. I can't control what state questions will be voted up or down. I think it's important to vote here, but I'm not going to be the deciding vote most likely. I can't control the outcomes, but I can control who I am. I can control that I am a person who's going to follow Jesus and keep my eyes fixed on Jesus when the world is fixed on the candidates. And so that's who I'm going to choose to be, and I invite you to be those people too. And I invite us all to be people of generosity. Because this is really what Jesus did, is he lived a life of abundant generosity towards us and for us. Is that Jesus paid it all. He didn't just pay some and say, you pick up the rest. He paid it all for us. That Jesus is so generous to us, and he calls us to be generous as well. And so we can be generous when we see and look at Jesus with clarity. In just a little bit, we're going to receive communion. And as we come forward, we're going to be singing one of uh, just a, a great simple song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And let me just tell you those lyrics real quickly. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. My friends, it's easy to get our eyes fixed on all sorts of other things as we run this race. But let us be people who in the midst of so many distractions, and if this world wants to do one thing, it is distract you from Jesus, all right? I'm pretty sure that's why Facebook was invented. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and his generosity towards us so that we can be Jesus for people and live life of abundant generosity. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.